And I'm going to be honest with you, I've got a lot of apprehension about us moving forward past chapter 5 because chapter 6 just takes off and keeps going. Um, I'm sad that our Sunday school time is coming to an end the first weekend of May, but we will be all right. Um, I would encourage you though, especially with what you get, real quick, um, where was it today? Let's look at the, um, we're going to pray, don't worry. Let's look at where I told you guys was the chiasm, just so you see it. Anybody remember where that was? Was it Joshua 9? No. What was it? Deuteronomy 5? No. I don't remember. Let me see here. Yes. Um, maybe it's Judges 2. Yeah, Judges chapter 2. I want, okay, good deal. I want to turn there real quick. I want to show you guys because sometimes when I bring up the word chiasm, I see a lot of you get real scared. Um, you kind of bind up a little bit, and I'm wondering if you're going to be able to make it out of here. Just so, is that what it was? Judges. I'm in Joshua. I'm like, how come it's not there? They have better Bibles than me. Um, Bible inadequacy. Um, but yeah, but before we start that, let's take a moment, let's pray, and, and we'll jump in. Father, I'm so thankful for the privilege to have Your Word before us. Father, You are God. There is none like You. Uh, you are amazing in all Your ways. And Father, what You are repeatedly teaching the children of Israel here about knowing and doing Your Word. Father, this is a message we definitely need for the church today to know Your Word, to do Your Word, to operate in Your ways, Father, so to display Your glory. And so I pray, God, please bless our time together. Help us, Father. Um, as, as we go through there, illuminate it to our understanding. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so in uh, Judges chapter 2, verse 11, 11, 12, 13, Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them Thus they provoked the Lord to anger, and they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. Now if I had my little Elmo up here, I would show you guys how to write it out uh, in, in chiastic structure. Uh, but does, ever, does anybody, can anybody see from verses 11, 12, 13 what the chiasm is? I just want to touch on this for a second, then we'll go back to where we're at in Deuteronomy 5. Okay, so notice the A part that we're dealing with here actually starts in verse 12. Uh, no, it doesn't. I'm sorry. Before that. Anybody see it? Serve the Baals. Exactly. Serve the Baals, that's A. And so in verse 13, and served Baal, that's A apostrophe. So there's your, your beginning and your end. Now work your way in. The next thing is, they forsook the Lord, verse 12, that's B. And then at the beginning of 13, they forsook the Lord. There's B apostrophe. 
Now, moving into the next one, do you know? It's very interesting because the language is not as similar. So, Okay, so notice, at the end of verse 12, they followed other gods. So notice that's your C. And then, later on in verse 12, and bowed themselves down to them. Everybody see that? That's C apostrophe. There is no D here. There is, there is no uh, idea of a D here. It's just A, B, C, C apostrophe, B apostrophe, A apostrophe. And the idea is that C and C apostrophe are the big ideas there. The big idea is the fact that they were following other gods and they bowed down to other gods. That's the problem here. So notice, it's a uh, serving of Baal, rejecting Yahweh, worshiping and serving other gods. In and out. Everybody see that? Okay, it's just a very short one. I'm telling you, they're a lot of fun. When you and, and it, what's interesting about it is, is it is it keeps you on track with what the whole idea of hermeneutics is about. What it's about is what did the original author intend at the time that he wrote that book? When the Holy Spirit moved him to write, what was the intention of the author in the text? Today we have these postmodern hermeneutics, and the idea is is that the meaning of the text is left up to the interpreter. And that's how, and, and just to give you a very basic idea, that's when you get into the Bible study and somebody goes, now what does this passage mean to you? Well, this passage means this to me. And I know I've said it before and I'm not trying to sound rude. God does not care what it means to you. In fact, God would rather not know ever that it meant anything to you other than what he intended for it to mean when he wrote it. That's important. So if you don't have the author's original meaning, you run into all kinds of trouble when you're interpreting the scripture. That's why chiasms are important. Here's what that author thought was most important at this time. This is the point he's trying to get across and the fact of worshiping and bowing down to other gods. So good. Any questions about that before we move back to Deuteronomy 5? Mary, yes ma'am. Mm-hmm. It could be, except it occurs between C apostrophe and B apostrophe. You could, but the parallels of following and bowing down are, are together, yes. Yes, and, and exactly. And, 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 and see, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. Well, why couldn't it have been this? Why wouldn't this have been the author's main point he's trying to get across here? The, the, fact, that, um, the fact that they provoked the Lord to anger. Why can't that be the point? It can't be the point. And we know that it wasn't the author's point in doing it because it falls outside of how the structure is set. So when it's structurally set that way, it, it helps you see there are boundaries, limits to how I interpret this. So yeah. All right. Now that everybody's thoroughly confused, Deuteronomy 5. We're going to do a couple of things that are interesting. I thought about dividing you guys up in groups and asking you to meet throughout the week. And then I thought that'll never happen. Um, and I'm not trying to sell you guys short, and I'm not saying you're not committed fully to the Lord, it's just I know that people are busy. Okay, I get it. Uh, so I don't think ill of any of you at all. Just kidding. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, just good. Hey, listen. Jeremy gave me an assignment. I can't come into work today. I got to meet with such and such. Yeah, we'll see how that goes over. It'll be good. 
If you need a pastor's note, I'll write you one. <laughs> so here's, what's that? Cows can't read. <laughs> I need milking now. <laughs> See, yeah, exactly. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to read through chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, verses 6 through 21 the reiteration of the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. But what I want to do as we go through this, we haven't done this yet. We've looked at, we've looked at how, how this Deuteronomy 5 giving of the law compares with Exodus 20 giving of the law. We've noted the differences that have gone on. We see that it's actually a chiasm of subject. Some of you might have been, dude, I was totally lost with the chiasm of subject. Some of you are looking at me kind of confused. I actually have one paper for notes that kind of help push in that direction i do not have any more so i have one paper does anybody want it it's going on ebay okay good deal uh you know what we can make copies would anybody would you care to go make copies there we go how many do we need actually one two three four five okay so if we could get six seven do i hear eight do i hear eight let me see eight let me see eight that's good so yeah, if you could if you could make a bunch of copies of that, that'd be great. Um, but the idea is, and, and, I, and I know some of you are looking at this like a chiasm in subject. What in the world is going on here? Because we haven't seen anything like this before. Here's the reason why this is important. Some of you might say, well, he's reading into this or something like that. I promise you I'm not, because here's what Moses is going to do from here on. When you, when you read through and we're looking at the general stipulations, and then we see the specific instructions that happen in the next part of the book. I think it's after chapter 12 is what we're going to be looking at. Yeah, it starts in chapter 12 when we look at the specific stipulations of the book. You are actually going to start seeing, why did he bring that up again? Well, how come he keeps bringing that commandment up again? Well, why does he say that again here? That's so odd. It seems like such a minuscule idea in their culture or society why would he keep bringing it up and the reason is is because what moses is going to do is he's going to take that chiasm of subject from the ten commandments and he's going to turn it sideways like this and use it for the structure for the rest of the book of how he unfolds it so the reason why you might see part of it unfolded in this area here is because when you go down a little bit more it also applies to that general heading and area there that's the reason why so this is this is if not the whole Bible, of course, Deuteronomy is a masterpiece of the Holy Spirit. It really is how the Holy Spirit has structured it, set it up, unfolded it, the style, the structure, everything. You can actually read books that will cure insomnia on just the structure of Deuteronomy. You can. In fact, we have one in our, in our, in our library. Pastor Steve said, you might want to check this out. I was like, well, it's... <laughs> it was just... I was like, I can't even handle it. So... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, there, it's profound how deeply you can dig in this book. Uh, I don't want to get too crazy with it, but here's what I do want to do. I want to start in verse 6, read to 21, and I want us to number the commandments. And here's the reason why, is because if we can start getting familiar with what number each commandment is, as we're going through the rest of the book, you can start applying the number to the commandment that it would relate to throughout the rest of the book. Everybody see that? Does that sound fun? <laughs> yeah, it's like Disney World, yeah. All right. Verse 6. It's so funny. Listen to this. I have to tell this. So I'm watching Nathaniel the other night, and, and he's watching the Disney Channel. 
And they come on and they show like the kid and their family going to Disney World. And she's like, I got to pet a fish. And like, you know, and the princess came up and hugged me. And and, uh, Daniel, and Nathaniel looks at me and goes, go, 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 go. I'm like, that's for rich people, buddy. We're not going to Disney World. I'm like, I'll go. I'm like, we got to change the channel. I'm like, I think it's 630. I think Wheel of Fortune's on. Let's do that. So, yeah, it's terrible. So, anyway, let me take a drink. Then we'll read this. Hilarious. All right. Verse 6. I am Yahweh your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Commandment number 1. Verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. So if you want to put in a number 1 and just circle it or something like that so you know. You shall have no other gods before me. That is commandment number 1. Number 2. Verse 8. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. Now, pause for one second, and I want to draw your attention to something that is never talked about, okay? Let let me ask this question. If you've been taught something all your life and the Bible said something different, who would you believe? It's real easy to say, I'm asking you to put feet on it. I mean, public opinion is railing against you. People are calling you stupid. They're, they're mocking you publicly on Facebook, whatever you want to say. They're telling your friends, don't associate with you. They're slandering you in the circles of influence that you run in. Would you really hold to the Bible over what the world says about something? Do you know of any, any, any time ever in a history class or a science class that we are ever taught about this point? Look at it. An idol or any likeness that is in heaven, there's level number one. Does everybody see that? Okay. People say heaven, sky, whatever. Who else needed a paper? Okay. Rory and Hannah in the back over here, Linda. We need to get that thing sharpened. I tried shaving with it the other day. Uh, I'm just kidding. So notice, in heaven, verse 8, that's level number one. On earth, that's number two. We're all good right now, aren't we? Heaven, earth, we get it, right? The Lord made the heavens and the earth. Stop for a second and look at level number three. Or in the water under the earth. Have you ever heard anybody ever in a science, geography class, anything, ever teach about water under the earth? Has anybody ever taught that? No. What's that? I taught it. But it's just because the Word of God teaches it. But do you realize that that any science class or, or a geography class or whatever it is that you've ever been in, no one has ever taught you when they talk about the makeup of the earth that we're talking about that there is water under it. Yes. Yes. The deep opened up and brought forth water and the, can- the windows of the canopy, hold on to your seats, people. There's actually a canopy or a vault over the earth. Now, the Bible tells you that. Do you believe it or do you believe what the science class tells you or the PhD guy tells you? You see what I'm saying? Now, here's the reason why I bring this up. Is The reason is, is because this is what has got us in the problem in our churches nowadays. Well, the Bible speaks to everything about faith and practice. It's true about everything about what we believe about Jesus. But when it touches on math, science, history, chemistry, anthropology, all these things... It's just doing the best that it can. Or they'll try to do it this way. Well, the Bible is infallible, but it's not inerrant. 
as if somehow there's a division between the two, which there's not. You read, you read 1930s, 40s theological literature, there's no difference in between infallible and inerrant. Denver Seminary, Denver, Colorado. Uh, I've been doing a lot of research on biblical counseling and things lately. Their biblical counseling department. The Bible is sufficient for all things we need for faith and practice. Well, what about sanctification and growing on our faith? Well, psychology takes the reins at that point. The Bible's not sufficient to grow you as a Christian. What they're saying is, by grace you are saved, but by works you grow. Is that true? Never. Not true one iota in the Scriptures ever. It's always it's by grace you're saved and by grace you grow. In fact, that's the whole point of Galatians. Galatians is not by grace you're saved. It has that in there. But the real point of Galatians is by grace you grow. Having began with the Spirit, are you so dumb as to go back to the flesh? I mean, that's really what Paul's saying there. And Paul gets kind of crazy with it in chapter 5, right? If you think circumcision is going to save you, then cut off more. That's a work salvation right there. Good grief. I mean, but, but think about it. That's what he's saying. The extents that we try to put man-made thinking and theories and ideas upon the Word of God, and this is what they should have done at the Reformation. I'm not, dis- I'm not discrediting the Reformation at all. Don't ever tell Pastor Paul I did that. He'd have me strung up, right? But the, the, the Reformation recovered justification by faith alone and God alone, by God's grace alone, pray, or by Christ alone. Praise the Lord, okay? I'm, I'm super jazzed about that I am. But it was not a full severance from the Catholic Church. And so a lot of this baggage drifted into the mix. And we're still unfolding that baggage today. And part of what it was was the marriage of Catholic Church and state. You put those things together and come up with the Pope actually has some sort of hierarchy where he rules in that type of providential position. And next thing you know, you've got him influencing all kinds of things. But here's one thing you can always guarantee, and this is because Satan is behind all of it. The Bible never wins out. It never wins in those things. People never default to the Bible as the rule for all things. So when we read something as simple, we would get real hung up as we should on not making idols, graven images, those types of things in this verse 8. But, when, but, but there's no word of Scripture that is ever wasted. So when we say in heaven above or on the earth, excuse me, or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth, there's water under the earth. Burn. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's incredible. God is teaching us something in, in, in the second of the Ten Commandments. He's teaching us something about geography that nobody wants to speak to. How odd is that? I mean, just throw all your earth science books out the window. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's amazing to see what he's trying to unfold for us. So that's commandment number two. But verse 9 and 10 go with it. Don't separate them, okay? It's not just that one part of this is the commandment and all the rest of it is an elaboration. It's an elaboration, but that doesn't make it any less of the second commandment. So make sure we watch it. Let's read it again. Verse 8. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Pause. Isn't that the problem we just saw in Joshua 2? Right? They worshiped them, they served them. There's the problem. Notice here. Shall not worship them or serve them, for I... Yahweh your Elohim am a jealous Elohim, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those 
who hate me. Now, immediately, if everybody stopped there, they would freak out about the idea of who hate him. The question is, do I hate God? But you've got to read the next verse in order to get the clarification. Context determines meaning. So notice what it says here. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. I know I've hit this a million times, but I cannot apologize for repetition as a teacher. What is it to love somebody? It's to obey them. That's really what it is to love. Now, don't you guys in your, in your marriages start getting any ideas here. Okay? But, but, when it talks about, I mean, let's turn to it real quick. Ephesians 5, let's turn there. Are we under the law? No. Is the law good? It is. It is the written perfection of God. The failure in the law is for us to keep it and it convicts us of sin and it convicts us of all kinds of unrighteousness. Ephesians 5. And here's the interesting thing. We're going to start in 522. We're going to pick on the ladies first just for a second, okay? But if you notice, if you have the New American Standard Version of the Bible or if you have a New King James where they have it, the words that are in italics there are words that were not in the original manuscripts. They've been added by the translators in order to give a better frame of reference. Does anybody need a Bible? I forgot to ask. Anybody need a Bible? Everybody good? Okay, want to make sure. Uh, it's, 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 it's given in order to help you as a frame of reference. Now, if you back up from 22, you see that it's talking about us being in submission to one another. Uh, verse 15, uh, making uh, time, uh, making the most use of the time. Um, verse uh, 17, not being foolish, understanding what God's will is, not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit. That's something totally different from the indwelling of the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks for all things. In the name our, uh, uh, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, uh, God, of, God and even the Father, verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another. That overarching idea of in the church as the body of Christ, we are to be subject one to another is the idea that carries over into when Paul decides to break it down into the husband and wife relationship. So notice, it's, and here's what it's not. Wives be subject. Husbands, enjoy them being subject to you. It never says that. It's never this dominance, I'm going to take a ruler staff and, and play whack-a-mole with my wife or anything like that. It's never that idea. It is always an approach of humility. So notice, the idea is wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now pause. Does anybody know what the words be subject mean? Some of your translations have it. Submit. What's another word? Obey. That's the word. Obey. Be subject, submit, obey. And I love it because it doesn't say if he's worth obeying. It's not, it's not a character analysis before there's obedience. Okay, But here's the reason why. Look what it says. Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ... So also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Can anybody imagine a church that doesn't obey the Lord? Surely we can't, can we? But isn't that what we often find, what often happens? It's the same idea. Just how should the church follow Jesus? We think. Completely, wholly, without question, the whole idea. 
This is hard teaching. Notice that. In the same way, wives should, should, should submit themselves, be subject to their husbands. Now, it doesn't just leave it there and he moves on. Paul was not a male chauvinist. Paul was actually a huge advocate for women's rights in the church that, that is never talked about today. Uh, because some of them weren't even allowed, they, they weren't even allowed to go to church and to learn in synagogues and things like that at that time. He's saying, no, let them learn. Let them be a part of exactly of everything that you do. Include them on everything. So he was a huge fighter for that. But look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify, that he might set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Why? So that he might present to himself the church. Now remember, this is really about the church in Christ is what it is. It's just showing that the husband-wife relationship does this. When will the church be presented before the Lord? The judgment seat of Christ. The bema is the idea. Notice, the reason why he is using the word, the word is the sanctifying agent. It's the soap that scrubs the church. Why is that? Because one day he is going to present the church to himself. And how does the church need to be presented? No spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be set apart and free of spots is the idea. Holy and blameless. Spotless is what the Greek word there is. Is the idea of being spotless. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one, I mean, We can read all that kind of stuff. But the whole idea is, is notice that the obey position of the wife and the love position of the man if you're reading your Bible from Genesis and if you really believe that the Bible is a collection of 66 books that do not contradict one another, the only conclusion that you can come to after all the teachings of the Old Testament, the teaching that Jesus gives, and then you get to Paul, is the idea of a wife obeying her husband and a husband loving his wife are one and the same thing. Does everybody see that? To love is to obey. To obey is to love. Even Jesus tells his disciples twice in John 14, once in verse 15 and once in 21, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, that's Peter, James, and John. They're already saved. They already love him. Yeah, they're saved. But if they don't follow his commandments, they don't love him. Why is Jesus having to take the time to explain to his disciples what it is to love him? Love is not automatic. It's not. It's something that is manifested through obeying. That's what it is. Now, are there any thoughts about that? That's a real good theme throughout the entire Bible. Well, let's do this. If that's the case, go ahead and turn back to Deuteronomy 5. But now let's talk about this, because this is one other thing I wanted to talk about as well. We don't have enough time. We'll probably do it next week. We need to number the rest of these commandments. But think about this. What does our culture, if, 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 if the Bible teaches us that to love someone is to obey them and to submit yourselves to them. In fact, the word there for submit in the Greek is hupotasso. And it is the idea of taking someone who is equal and they voluntarily position themselves under another person. Okay? That's what it is. And how do we know that? Because is Christ inferior to God? No, but we're told that he hupotasso himself to God. I did not come to do my will, but the will of the Father. Well, he's not inferior, just as a woman is not inferior to a man, but he voluntarily placed himself under the Father's will to carry it out and to do it. So here's the thing. If that's what the Bible teaches us about love, that love is obeying, what does our culture teach us about love? What are some things you see? It's emotional. 
Oh, us and our Hallmark movies. Right? We're just getting carried down the primrose path. What else? Love's all emotional. Do you realize that if you wake up one morning, you've been going through a hard time in your marriage, and you look over and you think, I don't know if I love this person anymore. Do you know what God thinks about that? He doesn't care. He doesn't care whether you love your spouse anymore or not. He cares that you have committed, that you have entered into a covenant with this person. And when the love is gone, and it's an emotion, it can easily come back. It can easily come back. Dale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. You choose who to love. You choose what to love. Why is it so easy for us to get rid of some of our sin? Do we know? Because we're in love with it. That's the reason why. I just can't imagine myself without my Bob Seger albums. What am I going to do? I need that old time rock and roll. What's going on here? I love, don't we say that? Don't we say that? I love this song. Turn it up. That'd be different except Striper worships Jesus and Bob Seger doesn't. So, Touche. Now, am I saying we shouldn't listen to am I saying we shouldn't listen to secular music or whatever? Man, I'm not here to be a legalist with people. I'm not. That's between you and your own conscience with the Lord. My question would be is number one, does it draw you closer to Jesus? And then my number two question, which actually probably should be the first one, is do you want to be closer to Jesus? That makes all the difference in the world. That's really how we should ask that. Am I going to slam you because I listen to Bob Seeger? No. Am I going to slam you because you're in love with Bob Seeger? Absolutely. Because biblically, that means that you're willing to obey Bob Seeger, and that's called idolatry. Does everybody see why, when Israel bows down to other gods, that God equates that as adultery? Because when we're talking about loving, obeying, we're talking about infidelity has crept into a relationship. So extremely important stuff. What are some other things that the culture tells you that love is that it's not? Love is blind. That was just as blunt as could go on out. <clears throat> what does that mean? Has anybody ever thought about that? Love is blind. What does that mean? Yeah, just always... Now, now pause for a second. Pause for a second. And Rory, I'm going to put you on the spot since you spoke out. Do you know... And I want to go ahead and tell you that the safe answer is no. <laughs> Do you know any of the imperfections of your spouse? As do I. And as does my wife know about me. You see what I'm saying? So if we're going to be completely honest, yeah, imperfections are there. So love is not blind because in spite of the imperfections, you love still. See, that's something that the world has sold us. Because here's the reason why. You take love as blind, you start here, oh, that sounds so poetic and romantic, it's so amazing, and then you draw it out to your logical conclusion. You know what you have? You have a lot of people in Washington on the Capitol steps on the front lawn holding picket signs that say, love wins, with rainbow colors all over it. Love wins! Stop. 
Did love win? Everybody see what Satan's trying to sell us? Love wins. No, sodomy won. Oh, you can't hold a sign like that, can you? No, lust won. No, rampant depravity won. No, the refusal, as we see from Romans 1, to think and honor God won. And because people did not want to think or honor Him, He gave them up to their lustful passions because they disregarded Him as God. That's where we're at in America. See, here's the amazing thing. You hold up the Ten Commandments and you simply look through them at America and you find out that we are everywhere opposite of God's law. Everywhere. And that's one of the most, honestly, like I told you guys, I don't want to get into chapter 6 yet. I would like to save it and wait and pick up with that in September when we get back together for Sunday school. But I think it would do us a world of good if we went through every one of these Ten Commandments and we asked the question, what is the world selling us? What is the world system selling us that is against the standard of God? The law is not bad. It's our failure to keep it that condemns us, right? But the law is a perfect standard of God. So here's the question. How far off base is the world from God? I think that's a critical study. Because what it does is it causes us to carefully look at everything we're involved with around us and ask the question, is this really poison? And I've been lapping it up like a dog all this time. I think it's important to ask. How about the next part? Uh, Verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is commandment number three. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Let me give you a a very harmless, and I use that word in italics, right? Uh, with, With quotation marks. A harmless representation of this. Well, I just don't think that God would ever do that. Do you realize that's taking God's name in vain? Have you ever thought about that? Well God, well, God doesn't approve of homosexuality. That's not how He made us. It's not how He designed us, so the plumbing doesn't work. And also, all, everything that goes on in order to foster that type of relationship and try to promote this equality idea, His Word speaks plainly against it. Plainly. Well, I just don't think... That, or here's this. The God that I serve would never be that way towards people. Yeah, How could a loving God do that he's a just god but here's what you do well what do you mean by love define love for me start asking questions what do you mean by love because here's the thing when you start asking the questions you start to realize here's where this person is not thinking correctly and they're not thinking correctly because they're not thinking biblically you mean being in a situation to where you would voluntarily place yourself under someone to where you would obey them at all costs are you we're talking about that kind of love well no I'm not talking about that. It's what you have in your heart. See, there's a note. What do you mean by heart? Because what the Bible means by heart is the word heart is interchangeable with how we think. It is, it is the processes, the central seat of your being that gives the rationale for why you make the choices that you do. Deuteronomy 4.29, right? The whole idea was to get the law of God in their heart. In fact, let me show you something real interesting. Turn over to 6. And let me show you something. Because this is really important. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 5. Watch what happens. He tells Israel, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, 
with all of your soul, and with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your what? He's brought it up twice so far. Heart, heart. Everybody see that? And we'll talk later on about what soul and mind he's getting at. Okay? But, but watch what happens, or might. Watch what happens here in verse 7. How do you get God's law in your heart? Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit and when you walk and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hands and be frontlets on your foreheads. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house. Does God sound pretty serious about getting his truth? How do you get the truth from just being rope memorization, bunch of regulations I got to live by and all kind of stuff like that. Even Christians today are trying to live biblically for a year and by doing so they put themselves under the law of God when they're not Israel so they have no point of being there whatsoever because the law is doing nothing but showing them what drastic sinners they are. We're not under the law. We've been set free from the law. Christ is our righteousness unto the law. We don't have to fulfill it. We're already perfect law keepers in Christ. But besides that, what is the idea of, and this could just go for God's truth. His law is as much truth as the rest of His Word. Okay? How do you get truth in the heart? You teach it diligently. You speak of it all the time. You bind it around your head. And that's actually like idioms or, 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 or uh, figures of speech is the idea of it's always in front of you. It's on the doorpost of your house. I actually know one, one lady uh, whose husband... Uh, she caught her husband addicted to pornography, been addicted to it for years. The first thing she did was call us over to her house, the elders of the church, over to her house to begin praying and to counsel her husband. And she started writing scripture on the doorposts of her house. She didn't care what her walls looked like, man. She started busting out the promises of God and putting them over every one of them. Taking, taking I think it was lipstick even, and writing verses across her mirrors in the bathroom. She didn't even care if she could do her makeup or not. She just wanted God's Word saturated in there because she knew that her house had been defiled because of this garbage it was brought in. Serious, man. Seriously trusting in God's Word like that. Now everybody's going to go home and decorate, right? You guys excited about that? Yay! Look, Laverne and Cheryl leaving right now. Hey, we got some, we got some housekeeping to do, right? is the idea but how do you get it in the heart you teach it diligently you talk about it when you sit down when you walk when you lie down when you rise up you bind it as a sign on your head or on your hand as frontlets over your forehead you write them on the doorpost of your house everything is saturated with the word of god now why is this important and we'll finish with this i want to respect everybody's time but why is this important to look through in that idea of what it is to get truth in the heart of somebody. Here's the reason why. And just think of it how society is set up. You go to a public school system, let's say. You're there Monday through Friday, five days a week, eight hours a day. How long is that? 40 hours. Do you think any of what you learn or what you talk about, because let's be honest, there's only a fraction of learning that's going on between teacher and student, is there? There's a lot that's going on through peers. How did you hear about sex for the first time? Because my friend Johnny brought a condom in fifth grade. We thought it was so funny we filled it up with water and then threw it at somebody. Right? That's the kind of, like this is the kind of stuff that we're having. It seems like it's harmless or it's fun or I don't know what that is. We're intrigued because well, all of a sudden our world has been introduced with something that we've never had before because parents were too scared to talk about it or whatever it is. And so truth is nowhere to be found. That trickles over onto the soccer field, the ball field, whatever it is that you're doing there. 
And so you have all these hours of indoctrination that's going on. And somebody's going to complain because I preach for an hour? Does everybody see how irrational that is? That's not my justification for being long-winded. But what I'm saying is for darn sure, the truth is way more important than a lot of everything else that we're being taught. And we don't even have to sit down with a piece of paper and take a test of whether or not we know it. It just comes so much and Satan has so crafted this world system. It's easy to pick up on it. Let me take you to one more verse. Turn to 1 John 5. 1 John chapter 5. I would like to tell you I'll just read this and we'll pray, but you know that won't happen. 1 John 5. And man, this is a sweet, sweet promise with a negative reaction. Or a negative B part, let's say it that way. Probably not reaction. 1 John 5, look at verse 19. We know. I love it. Anytime I see we know, or don't you know, or you ought to know, I want to circle no because it's something I need to know. Right? We know that we are of who? And praise God for it. But look at the next. And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You know what that tells you? Nothing in this world is safe. Nothing in this world is safe. What does a church start to have scandal and problems? When it starts to become like the world. Doesn't matter situation. When it starts to become like the world. When do our houses and our marriages and our families start to have problems? When it starts to come like the world. Something about the world has indoctrinated or, or it had been interjected into what we're seeking to have set up is, is holiness. That's a worldly influence. It's worldly values. It's filled with pride and what I want all the time. It is selfish. That's everything that it is. And everybody thinks, well, I'm just doing what's best for me. Well, I just got to take care of me right now. Well, I'm my own boss kind of thing. And we use all of these slogans and these rationales that the world has taught us about things, but they never really see what, that's just a symptom. Those are just symptoms. What's the real root? Satan runs my life and he's so into it, I don't even know he's there. I'm so close to the devil, I don't even know he's running my life. That's the insanity that we live in. That's how we think that electing people is going to fix things. That's how we think that, well, if I just indulge in this vacation I can't afford, that's going to make me feel better as a person. That's why we've all bought into this idea of self-esteem is really the way to go. It is all satanic. It is. There is no gray area. It is evil as the day is long, as long as I preach. It is evil. All of it. So does anybody have anything they want to add to that? I think it's an important point, man. The whole world, the whole world lies in the power. Some of your translations say the whole world lies in the sway of the evil one. Anybody, it's like he's lulling us to sleep. All it takes is time, pressure, everybody go to sleep and just let Satan run it. Right? It's crazy. We live in a crazy world. And here's a way you know they're crazy. How do you tell if they're crazy? They don't abide by the truth. 
That's why we don't have to study the counterfeit. We just study the real thing. That way you can pick out the crazy, right? Let's pray. I'm starting to get a little crazy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this uh, time together in Deuteronomy to see, Father, your law matters. It sets standards. It sets morals. It sets ethics. It is the definitive word of what is true. And Father, while we're not under the law, Christ has saved us from that. We do serve a higher law, and that is the law of liberty that Christ has set us free to do, that we are law keepers in Him. Father, help us to be humble, not take that for granted, but also give us eyes to drastically see the evil that is all around us. It doesn't have to be in a red jumpsuit with a pointy tail. It doesn't have to be full of blood. It doesn't have to be about violence. It could just be something as simple as us buying into a lie because everybody does it. God, help us not to be sheep of this world, but to be sheep of the great shepherd. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.